Hi, this is Amy Chu, and you're listening to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Today with us, CBS. Hello. We also have Rob. Hi. Kind of a dynamic duo thing going on today. Yeah? That means I'm Batman, you're Robin. Like the Cape Crusader? That's what I'm talking about. Well, I don't want to be Robin. I want to be, let's do something different. Oh. <laughs> that doesn't sound right when you say it that way. Oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Batman doesn't need a Robin. That's what you're supposed to say. Batman doesn't need Robin either. Robin is no Batman. There you go. Damn it, I missed the whole line. Delivered right. Now, come on. Admittedly, I I was taking pot shots at Snyder earlier this week, and I feel bad about it now. Because he kind of called me out on it a little bit with his, why are you so angry? And I'm like, because you pissed me off, guy. What do you mean, why am I angry? I I think you mean maybe maybe he didn't deserve my full wrath as part of of a, a review. But there is things that are not great. Yeah, well, in in, in the All Star Batman two story, in my opinion. No, well, and I'm 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 bored with you there. I mean, he's not a bad book. It's but the you get one trick pony and it make, makes me mad. And it's not ultimately the problem is I, I chased the carrot harder than I should have. And so, foot and mouth. We'll wait till it ends and then volume comes out, and then at that point we can destroy it. Yeah, I mean, it's not anything as bad as. You know, the fans threatening to kill people for Spider-Man's no. death. You know? <laughs> no. it's, it's nothing like that. That nonsense is nonsense, whatever. I mean, the whole Spider-Man becoming Doc Ock thing, people got out of control for no reason. It's nothing like that. I mean, I, I did call him fan fiction-y with his Duke Thomas story. So that was a little harsh, probably. Yeah. But how is Duke the only answer? That doesn't make any damn sense. Alfred Sandler looking at the same thing. <sighs> Read Batman All-Star 2, and then you'll know what I'm talking about. Nevertheless, foot and mouth, so sorry about that if you're listening, Scott. Eh, sorry, man. Wasn't meant as hate. Just as uh, angry donkey chasing the carrot? Yeah. No? You shut the hell up, Rob. Your eyes burn my soul. Okay, that's enough of that nonsense. All right, so... God, we haven't told people what episode it is, what books we're doing, nothing. No. Uh, So today we're doing episode number... Eighty-two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, book-wise, uh, we're going to be going over uh, Gotham Academy Second Semester Issue One, and uh, followed by A Force Number Nine from the old Marvel Comics. Uh, following that with uh, Supergirl Number One, the. Uh, Regular number one, not the rebirth issue, but the second issue, the second issue number one. Then followed by Civil War, Amazing Spider-Man number four. That's a mouthful of a title. And then we'll close it up with some uh, glitter bomb from Image Comics. Uh, so uh, that's what we'll be doing book-wise. So hopefully that interests you a little bit, rather than just my crap talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, so news today, Rob. We got no Ross because he's busy doing night classes. Good stuff. Um, the only thing I can think of, like at the top of my head, there is pictures that have surfaced online of 
the Batfleck for the Batfleck Batman movie. Suit looks a little Christian Belly. Um, this is very tactical. So it looks cool. Um, the mask, not so sold on right now. Because he's got himself a set of eye covers. Very um, owl-like from Earth 3 Owl, like the other Batman owl. So maybe it is the owl. We just don't really know what the hell's going on, because who knows what the story's about. I've heard there's a Catwoman casting, which if the two they cast the girl from Pity Dreadful, um, whose name I don't remember now. I remembered it when I didn't care about remembering it, but I don't remember it now. Um, I don't think she looks apart. I mean, she's a little skinny for what I would normally expect, but as far as, like, a, no no different than Hathaway would have been, so that could be cool. But the, the bat mask is very uh, owl-like. I'm not real sure I like the eyes, especially since we already had a Batman in Batman Superman. The mask looked fine. So I don't quite understand why we're changing the costume in the next movie. I mean, I guess I get adding extra gadgets or whatever, but you're still the same Batman, so what are you doing? Like, that part's questionable to me. Anyway, if you guys care, Google Images Batman Ben Affleck Batman movie, I guess. I don't know how you'd look that up. Something like that. I'm sure words, and you'll find it. They're, they're weird, man. He's got, like, eyes on top of his eyes. It's weird. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. No, I no. can tell, but you're not near blank stare when I'm talking yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, for those of you who can't feel Rob's eyes, <laughs> lucky you. Um, I can't think of anything else mm, announcement-wise. I mean, they, uh, there's been talk the last couple, I don't know, maybe like the last month, about Anna Kendrick getting uh, cast as a Squirrel Girl for what movie? No idea. Uh, maybe Avengers 3, the whole uh, Infinity Gauntlet. Maybe it'll be a cameo thing. Maybe it'll be a TV show thing. I think it's awesome because she's beautiful, but as far as uh, where it's supposed to take place at, no idea. Hmm. Um, but that's the word. Um, speaking of Squirrel Girl, issue 12 is coming out with a cosplay cover, so if you get the option to pick that up, uh, show friend uh, Ricky Riddle, uh, Ricky Colty, cosplay girl, she's got the variant cosplay cover this month for uh, Squirrel Girl. And I say, if you get a chance to pick it up, you should, because it's awesome. She does a lot of cons, so getting it signed would be fairly easy, I would, I would assume, if you're willing to travel. Anyway, um, I think that's all I got for, it wasn't like a planned news, I mean, it's just stuff that happened today, or last week, or last month, you know, whatever. Good times. Uh, also, this episode, towards the end, um, we'll run an interview, what kind of interview? It's more like a talk. Uh, with uh, a, a couple guys that I ran into out at the uh, Colorado Springs Comic Con this year, um, uh, Jason Narvi and uh, Paul Schreier, 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 Schreier. I'm not sure how you say it. Uh, Paul is a uh, bulk from uh, Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and Jason was Skull. Um, <laughs> so he got to chit-chat with him a little bit, which is fun, which I've actually run into Paul before, because he also works for Gentle Giant, and because of our friend Ken Talbot, the Elvis Trooper, is how I ran into him, like, I don't know, four or five years ago, which I completely forgot about until I saw the guy. So weird. Anyway, uh, so there's some of that in the interview at the end. The guys are hilarious. They're just always on. It's great. Anyway, um... <clears throat> 
So, uh, I guess let's go and start with uh, Gotham Academy, Rob. You want to tell me a story about kids going to school in Gotham? Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. I almost certainly try. All right. There's a lot of people that brought this book to bear, so um, bear with us for a minute here. For the story, we have Brandon Felcher, Becky Clunan, and Carol... Crusher? Or Crusher? Crusher? I think so. Sorry if I messed that up. Uh, with artist Adam Archer. And then there's a whole lot of other people that came in to make this book the way that it looks. So it's, it's there's actually a lot of a lot of hands in play here. Right, well yeah, we got background artists and background painters and colorists and there's so stack wise there's a lot of people involved in the way that look of the book is. And it does have a cool look to it. I mean it really does. It's very it's very animation style almost, like it's got a cool flow to it. Anyway, uh, go on, Rob. Well, where we uh, catch up with Silver Locket, she is uh, spending the Christmas break at Gotham Academy, and she has one of the teachers that kind of comes in and has been helping her spend the time. Um, pretty quickly, we start running into a new student at the Gotham Academy who is this kind of rule breaker, um, who kind of gets uh, Locket to come with her and, and raise some hell as they like explore around the Gotham City grounds. I think, they, I think her name's Amy, is that right? Yes. Yeah, she, she, she's basically a rule breaker convincing all, all of the break rules with her. Because, you know, hey, why not, right? Yeah. Kids are kids. She's very punk rock. But uh, as as they kind of explore around, they wind up going over to the uh, the on grounds museum. It's supposed to be kind of locked off to to the student body. And of course, Amy's not going to have any of that. So all of Silver all of Silver Locket winds up going in with her, and they explore the uh, the museum and find there's kind of like a uh, like a seance room and kind of a secret stairway that leads up to an attic where we run into another kid who knew maps. From last year, I think it's Zachary. I don't remember his name. They talk about him being in classes with maps. Yeah. But I don't remember his name. But they kind of begin giving us a little bit of a hint of uh, maybe what the overarching story for this group was, which is that the person who donated the, the house, although they were under a different last name, Wedgerwood. Wedgerwood? I think is what she... The, supposed to be the last name of the lady that owned the house, house yeah. But she was actually a cobblepot. Well, by marriage, the name is different, but yeah. Yeah. So the connection there is to yeah, she the was, Cobblepot family. She was born into the Cobblepots, yeah. But there's these symbols around um, the old house that are connected to Arkham Asylum. Right. And so they're going to be starting to kind of find these symbols all over the school and maybe a big part of where we're going with this it new sounds story. sounds like they're setting up like a treasure hunt with the different markings and symbols is what it seems like. It's quite possible. But, um, yeah, our kid here, Zach, he, he starts having an asthma attack, and Amy winds up stealing his bag and just kind of leaving him to, uh... Yeah, it's really pretty messed up, actually. Like, she steals his backpack, he's freaking out wanting his backpack, and then that caused him to have an asthma attack. And rather than her giving him his backpack back, or giving him even his inhaler, she's like, oh no, give me the keys to the building, because somehow he has a set of keys into the museum, and we don't really go over how he has them or why he has them. 
but she basically holds it over his head to get the get the keys, and so of course he gives the keys because the kid's dying, and then she runs off with the backpack anyway, like a complete biatch. Yes, bad word. Really pretty asshole of her. Uh, but that leaves Oliver to basically try to help save him, and that leaves the two of them to uh, <clears throat> escaping out through uh, breaking the hell of a, out of a different door. Or well, it's, it's not really a door. I guess it, well, I guess it's a door, but it's like uh, to the floor because yeah. they're in the attic, so it's the doorway there. Anyway, by the time they finally get out of the building, they went flying out through one of the secret openings into the snow, where they discover who, Rob? Uh, a, evidently, a teacher named Mr. Scarlet. Mr. Scarlet. Now, Mr. Scarlet has a very particular look, and if you're an old fan of Batman, you might recognize him as looking very similar to the bookworm, which we kind of did a little bit of research, and, like, S.A.E. Scarlet is one of his aliases. Right. So, one of the teachers here might be the bookworm, actually making his way into the DC Universe. Well, into the Rebirth Universe, at least. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, the bookworm originally showed up in the uh, 66 TV series and then moved forward into the books. He's one of the other few that came backwards from TV into him, Harley. I mean, there's a whole list of them, but there's not many characters that do that. But, yeah, he's got a very distinct look. I mean, and the look of the character is that. So I'm sure that'll have something to do with... And the bookworm's very, like... He's not really Riddler, Riddler-like, but kind of like the Riddler. Yeah, he, has, he has similarities. Yeah, sure. so I have a feeling that this whole treasure hunt or the symbol hunt and him are going to be connected. Otherwise, it's a really weird occurrence, and he happens to be a teacher for some weird reason. Well, and he has he has the kid's inhaler, which also makes me question a little bit what's going on. And the kid, you know, he was he didn't want to tell how he had the keys or why. Right. He just said that he had permission. Which is also another good question. So, who gave him permission? Who gave him the keys? And why did uh, Scarlet happen to have an inhaler to fix the kid's problem? Hmm. Well, we pretty much, you know, we we end it with, you know, the the year starting. And so this is going to, I feel like, anyways, this is going to be the beginning of the mystery that's going to last us through this next, like, at least story arc for the Gotham Academy. Right. Here. And it's kind of more of a return to norm for this series, because the series did get kind of caught up in the whole Robin War stuff where... Mamps and Olive were running around with the both kind of Robins, yeah. The Robins, yeah. So return to status quo, I guess, because yeah, at the very end of it, the rest of the kids show back up because school's getting ready to start. Mm-hmm. So we have most of the returning cast show up. And although Amy disappears before the end of the book, I, I have a feeling she's going to be a part of the series as we continue. She's going to be our resident new bad girl. Whether right. she'll be a part of the. Uh, the, the detective club or not. Right. I almost called it the Scooby Squad, but that's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer thing. <laughs> it's very similar. <laughs> it works both ways. That's, mm. that's basically what they are. And since Scooby-Doo's being made by uh, DC, that would make perfect Yeah, they, they could steal the name. Yeah, easily. Anyway, uh, Rob, score for the book. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, give it a, I'd give it a two and a half. It was a really fun read. It's a nice return to normal. I don't know if it was quite where I want it to be for the kickoff of the series. like, But uh, our work for it was really good. Lots of different hands. Um, story was pretty interesting. There was certain things I thought they should have followed up on that they really didn't. But you know, other than that, I mean, it was, it was 
pretty good for for a start off. Sure. Um, I'll follow suit. I, I give it a three. I mean, the art is really good still. I mean, this series has had a pretty unique type look to it from the beginning. Granted, there's some issues in there that don't follow the same pattern, but it, overall, I think it has a good look. I mean, as far as story, I mean, like you said, it's not. There's not a whole whole lot to the issue, but we do. We introduce a new character. We introduce two or three possible threads for stories, and a possible villain type, or if nothing else. Misleading type character in it, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but yeah, book wise, I give it a three. It was a pretty fun read. Um, the characters are still pretty interesting. But yeah, it, I think it'd be an interesting chapter. We'll have to see. If you like the original run of it, then you'll like this one too. So if you didn't read the original run, you could start here and be okay because they give you like an overview of who she is and they introduce the other characters when they start showing up at the end. And the new girl is going to be the one that we have to probably deal with as a a running lead, maybe, and all of it has always kind of been the lead for the book, so you can start here and be okay, yeah. as far as that. I mean, you just have to know this is the second year in school, and you'll be fine. Anyhow, yeah, so I give it three. That was a lot of words to get to a very short, simple answer. Uh, you should expect that by now, people. There's 82 episodes. you got to know. There's words that get said for no reason. <sighs> Sad day. Anyway, uh, let's move on to uh, A-Force number nine. God, I forgot what was going on. Ah, where am I? Whose pants are these? Ah, you should know better than that. Um, so A-Force number nine. Uh, A-Force is uh, written by Kelly Thompson, this particular issue. And uh, the artist is uh, Paolo Sequeria, I think is how you say it. Um... And then, again, it has a batch of other folks and several cover artists. Uh, but basically, what we've got for A-Force, if you're not aware of the book, uh, we've got a team of female superheroes running around doing things, and uh, we're in the thralls of uh, Civil War. So this does happen to be a Civil War tie-in. Uh, Cast-wise, we're, we're dealing with Medusa. Um, Black Bolt's now estranged wife. Um, She-Hulk, however, She-Hulk, uh, thanks to issue two of Civil War, is not currently uh, in play. Uh, then we have uh, Synergy, which was introduced in the uh, Secret Wars miniseries. Uh, she's the living embodiment of the universe. Kind of blue-looking, stars in her. A younger, written younger character. Uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, Nico uh, from The Runaways. The magic girl that had the staff, if, you don't, if you've seen The Runaways. And then, uh, of course, Dazzler, who's one of my favorites. This particular issue, we also have uh, one of my other favorites, Alyssa Bloodstone. Because if you're going to hunt monsters, well, you get Alyssa. That you need somebody that swears, so those are the two things she's good at. Hmm. Being awesome and swearing. Uh, where this book picks up, um, because of Secret Wars, uh, Ulysses, a character that uh, was introduced during Secret Wars, has predicted a bunch of stuff that's going to happen, and one of those things is that Nico is going to kill this lady, murderer, and of course Carol, who's currently on a trip that, oh, anything Ulysses sees is going to happen, so... I had to prevent it before it happens. You're going to go to jail. Basically goes after Nico uh, to keep her from murdering this lady that none of them have ever met. And that leads Nico to do what she does, which is run away. Um, that's her old bag. Anyway, when we meet up with the girls, uh, we wound up meeting up with them in all places in Uray, Colorado, which is hilarious to me. Uh, at the home of, uh, of the Michaels, who the person that they've been told is she's going to kill is uh, their daughter, 
uh, who's we haven't really seen the daughter, I don't think. I mean, they may have shown us a picture, I guess, but I don't think we've seen her. Um, well, where's Nico? Oh, yeah, she's at the Michaels house, and so here's Captain Marvel and Medusa both basically trying to reel her in and arrest her to keep her from killing this lady. Well, that's not going to go very well. There's a whole lot of dialogue in there. We get a lot of cross-match between the two things, and Carol's basically convincing her that, yeah, you should just come with us, that way you're not around, this can't happen. If we take you away from the situation, this won't happen. But the towns where we're having problems, like there's this crazy bug infection going on with like bug-sized people, and the town's a mess. So Nico's like, we have to help these people. And of course, well, Carol can't not help them. So after a little rumble between the girls, where um, we wind up having Medusa basically tie Nico up with her hair to keep him from doing magic spells, and Alyssa pulling a gun on everyone after throwing her hero sandwich on the ground um, in order to get everybody to chill out because the right answer is to pull a gun. That's how Alyssa works. They decide to split into two teams and one team's going to go after this. This going to go into the city and try to help the people and the other team's going to stay at the house and try to make sure if the daughter shows up that they keep her safe from Nico, I guess. So they split the two factions. Uh, Nico and uh, Cat Marvel and uh, Alyssa both go out, or all three go out to try to find the girl because uh, they think that she went back to where she used to work in the mountains. She did like she was like a tour guide for um, so, I can't remember if it was a mine or what it was up there. Some some type of tour guide anyway. So after girls all split up, of course there's some more uh, like backbiting between uh, Dazzler and uh, Medusa just because of some stuff that happened in a previous issue. Fairly interesting the way it's written. I mean it's it's cool seeing Dazzler like because she's always been ballsy. So it's been pretty cool. It's pretty cool to watch her deal with Medusa, who's like the queen of everything. Um, anyway, so when we join the girls out hunting down this missing girl, the one that Nico is supposed to kill, uh, we want to find him out in the mountains. And of course, Carol's still trying to preach to Nico why it's right to prevent things from happening by arresting people beforehand. And Nico can, is basically trying to explain to her what you're doing is making the ends meet the... Uh, Making your ends meet your decisions? No, how do you say it? Hang on a second, I gotta... Your ends meet your needs? Yeah, uh, something like that. There's an actual way to say it, and I can't remember how you say it. Uh... But she's basically talking to her about, oh, the way you get to things matters. It's not just the end result that matters. Is what she's trying to convince her. Where is it at? Oh, ends justify the means. Thank so, you. You. your end goal, no matter how you get there, where you have to murder people, kill people, hurt people you care about... Doesn't matter because you get the, your in beans is what matters, and she's basically trying to convince her that's not right. And the whole time, Melissa's basically just running her mouth and cussing, which is awesome. So they split up into two groups from that group. Alyssa goes through this cave entrance, and the other two girls go in through the main entrance to try to make sure they don't miss the missing girl hiding in the cave if they find her. Well, in the process of that, um, they almost kill Alyssa because uh, she winds up jumping out of the ceiling, stinky like. And they're like, well, the girl's not here. And then all of a sudden we see a giant bug thing come out from the wall. And initially both Alyssa and Captain Marvel shoot the bug thing, uh, which gets them encapsulated in, like, slime and goo, kind of Ghostbuster style. And then all of a sudden Nico, who's on the ground, like, freaking out, realizes she hears a voice in her head. And it turns out that the girl that they've been looking for has been transformed into one of these bugs, and however she got transformed, she's caused a lot of the other bugs in town to be there. But apparently her bite or her uh, her cutting you 
infects you to turn into one of them. And she doesn't know how it's happening, and she doesn't know why it's happening, and she realizes that Nico can hear her and understand her, whereas no one else can understand. And so Nico asks her, well, did you try to take over them? If you're their queen, you should be able to control all the rest of them. And she's like, yeah, I tried, and it doesn't work. So the girl's like, you gotta kill me. I mean, at this point, your friends can't do anything with their powers because they didn't hurt me, but your powers can reverse or kill me. So this whole, like, murder thing isn't really murder at all, depending on how you look at it. Anyway, so they dig the girls out of the slime, and uh, Nico's trying to think of another way to deal with it and trying to explain to Captain Marvel what's going on while Captain Marvel's freaking out about the bug. Alyssa pulls her shotgun, of course, because that's how she works. Because she's mad about being slimed and uh, wants to kill the bug. And Nico explains to him why they can't kill the bug because it's the girl, which is all like a giant circle. We get to the close and we see one of them is transformed into a bug also, which is problems for the rest of the group. But I'm not going to tell you who. There's a couple other pieces in there that are catch-worthy. Um, but yeah, as far as like a monster hunt's concerned, it's like this is one of the first groups that we see Captain Marvel's opinion maybe being swayed. Because the whole thing with Civil War is that she's very... head things off at the pass. Because the future seer guy saw something. Which, I mean, that's fine, I guess, but it's very, like like she was saying, it's very, your ends meet your needs. No, the needs meet the end. How have you said it earlier? When the end justifies the means. There you go, that's the words. So that's pretty cool. Um, Series-wise, it's been, the art's really good in it. I like the way everything looks. Um, I'd take Alyssa Bloodstone, I think she's great. Um, Alyssa's the smallest part of the story, probably, but she's awesome. It's got a really cool cover, like a throwback terror cover, the uh, like old school Tales from the Crypt style. So if nothing else, the cover's worth the price of a commission because it's awesome. I give it a three and a half. It was a fun read. It is pretty wordy, and there's a whole lot of banter between the group. But as long as you like group dynamic stuff, pretty good. I mean, yeah, pretty good. Rob's score for the book? Uh, I give it a three for for the throwback cover. The throwback <laughs> cover is epic. Um... It, it's it's cool to see them play this out because you know I, I, they need to have this conflict come to a head because it really hasn't in the series yet. And I mean, I, I guess it's kind of like the Captain America Iron Man thing, but I don't know. I, it, to me, it's very clear cut. Like, there's, there's no reason to act on things that haven't what, happened. What is saying, but right. So far, it hasn't really come back on them too much. So that's cool that this story kind of throws that in. Yeah, it sort of throws it in, in Captain Marvel's face in a way, which works out pretty well. I mean, because they're basically ready to, to lynch Nico, or Nico, at the very beginning of the book, and then realize partway through towards the end that, well, maybe we don't really know what we're doing. So, like, that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, anyway, uh, so, moving forward, uh, let's move on to Supergirl number one? Supergirl number one. All right. And this is the issue one, the regular issue one, not the rebirth issue one. Yeah, because they, they make it easy for everybody. Well, you know, it's, it's all about it's all about ease of ease of use, I guess. Ease of uh, whatever. Go on, Rob. Um, so writer is Steve Darlando. Orlando. Oh, it's Orlando. I'm yep. sorry, the font is weird here. And artist Brian Chin. So, um, actually, after a brief recap of Supergirl's time in the New 52, we go ahead and start this story. Um, one of the big things that's happened with Supergirl is that she's working with the DEO, and to kind of get her integrated to living a regular life, 
they've put her up with a couple of DEO agents as like foster parents. Right. And so they're trying to teach her kind of how to fit in to humans, the human world. Right, how to be a normal teen. Yeah, which she was kind of learning that before, but they're taking it a step further. So, like, one of the first things is uh, kind of this fun story where they're teaching her how to drive. Right. And uh, one of the big things with Kara is that she had a lot longer time on Krypton than Superman did. And so she's used to a science that is far beyond what we have on Earth. So things like cars and projectors and, you know... Simple things that, that we use that are considered to be slightly advanced or normal ways of teaching, she's not used to. Yeah. Like, she used to use the hollow projectors and micron crystals and things like that, and, like, cars that drive themselves. And so this whole barbaric style of technology... She's just not accustomed to. So getting used to it and knowing how to work it, whereas normal, like we would all realize how to run a projector, and, well, in theory, her is like, what the hell is this? Yeah, it's very much working backwards for her. She's working on a lot more primitive stuff. Right. That's an example in this particular book, just in case you wondered. Yeah. Why a projector, really? Because yeah. in the book, come on now. <laughs> um, but we're kind of dealing with her assimilation and... You know, a lot of what Supergirl's books have been has been her fitting in and kind of controlling her abilities and stuff, and, and kind of the downside of having some of the super abilities that Superman and Supergirl have. Right. Um, so basically, like, there's no secrets for her. So, you know, a crowded lunchroom, she hears everything. Right. Which is a, there's a kind of cool, during the first few pages, there's the correlation between her homeworld and modern well not modern world I guess modern life circumstance because they show mirror images of what it was like for her on Krypton and what it is like for her now here on Earth so they, the parallels they show there but yeah the whole lunchroom thing is pretty interesting too because you can hear everything being said people talking crap whatever or people robbing a bank as we get to the next setup well I guess they're not robbing a bank they're robbing a train of data it's crazy yeah, they're robbing a train, but they're, what they're stealing is data. Right. And they think, like, oh, well, they got the perfect crime because, you know, there's no Superman and they're on a train that's going 200 miles an hour. Oh, nothing nothing can stop us. And, of course, Supergirl shows up and foils their plan. But um, we also find that the D.O. really wants to have a short leash on her. Right. They feel like she owes them because they helped uh, kind of reignite her, her Kryptonian powers. And so they want to be in charge of when she goes out and she bees Supergirl. Right. If, you, if you're watching the Supergirl TV show at all, this has similar threads to that. Um, Grant is a little more heavy-handed than uh, what we get... Gosh, my voice. <clears throat> it's a little more heavy-handed than what we get in the TV series. Um, but yeah, it's very... Uh, they want a short leash on her when she's out like, running around with the suit and basically want it to be their choice for her to do it, whatever she does. Which is pretty questionable, I think, but, you know, go on. We'll have to see how that goes. But uh, so far, one of the things that we can we can definitely say as a rebirth continuity thing is that she and the original Superman had not met yet. Because she makes mentions, you know, about Superman being dead and her being the only Kryptonian now. So she, she's obviously not come in contact with him yet. The pre-New 52 Superman, yeah. Lois and Clark Superman, yeah. Uh -huh. 
I, that's the way it seems. I mean, the only Kryptonian, that's the only way that makes sense is if she doesn't know about him, so... Yeah. Well, I mean, he always kind of the last Superboy, but, you know, who knows where Superboy's going to fit in this new universe. Or if he fits at all, yeah. fits at all, you know. But as we get towards the end of the book, there is a, a pretty significant catch as she kind of, like, mourns where she fits in society and whether she wants to even put up with a human side. Or maybe she'd just lock herself away from society. There, there's a big catch at the end of it that, that'll probably propel this series forward. But yeah, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have been enjoying the book. I think they actually did a really good job of it. I like how they have her user powers. It's not so much just smash and bang. Um, in the previous issue, in the, the Rebirth number one, one of the things that was kind of cool was they, they have her zippering around fixing things after an attack. And her parents kind of stop her and are like, no, no, you need, you need to do some of this, you know, like a person will, so you understand, you know, the, the cost of these big battles and, like, how, how hard it is for regular people to put their lives back together. And so we kind of see a less destructive Korra. Right. <laughs> yeah, because, like, pre-rebirth, she was, uh, she didn't care. Yeah. And a lot of it was just that she just didn't. Well, she was super angry, too. Yeah, she just I mean, didn't think things She's a little more chilled out now. Yeah. But, yeah, the first New 52 run, she was super mad and very hate everything because it's not Krypton. Yeah. This is a little more past that part of things. Uh, there is another cool thing in here where they reveal Cat Grant, which, in my head, I don't remember that being that big a deal in other books, but... Uh, yeah, she's a pretty big deal in the show, and so now here she is in the books, and that makes me wonder, like, what exactly they're going for, but it's an interesting introduction, I guess. Yeah, she she has shown up previously in New 52. Right. Um, but yeah, she wasn't as big a deal. No. So. Like, they make it like a big deal in this, but before it didn't really, yeah. it was just a name drop. Of course, though, she was supposed to have gotten a ton of money with the web series with uh, Clark, Oh, right. She was doing a reveal for uh, Superman and, and Wonder Woman's relationship, so she was supposed to have had a bunch of money from that. Right. But, you know, it, it is kind of just tying in, I guess, with the TV show a little bit closer. So, Depending on which direction they go with it, cause she's the one that, in the previous Action Comics run, and even in Superman, was working with Clark on the whole breaking the story about the love relationship between Superman and Wonder Woman mm -hmm. as like a big thing, especially since the Daily Planet's become a, a media hub instead of a newspaper. So it was, it was just a piece like that. It was that, that was her big launching point. Which, yeah, that's, as far as connections concerned, I guess it does just will whittle the things together. No. Wire them together? Yeah, a little bit. There you go. Uh, Rob, score for the book. Um, you know what? I enjoyed it. I thought they did a pretty good job. It's a neat catch at the end, especially if you've been following Supergirl. Uh, I give it, I give it probably three and a half. I thought it was, I thought it was well done. I enjoy the art. I think the story for it is pretty cool. So we'll have to see where they go from here. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I give it a three. I mean, the, the art is fun. The book is fun to read. So. And the thing that's been really great about Supergirl, even throughout the New Fifty Two run. A lot of what drives you about her is that she makes she makes bad decisions, and it's like real person decisions. So it, we get some of that in this. Maybe not as heavy-handed as it was before, 
but it's interesting to see both sides of the, the picture with her old life and current life. So, I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, like I said, I gave it a three. I'm done with talking with words. <clears throat> so, uh, move on to... Civil War Two, Amazing Spider-Man number four. Hey, well, there's a thing with a lot of words in the yeah, title. Yeah, there was, there was. So, you have uh, writer Christos, Christos Gage and Travel Foreman as the artist. Hopefully I said that first name right. Basically, the Inhumans were loaning Ulysses out to people. Yeah. <laughs> kind of to test out his his visions or whatever. Right. And so one of them was Spider-Man, who, you know, begins his idea with this whole notion that, oh, well, you know, if you could see the future, you could tell us what products we can continue to work on, and, you know, the company will be much more profitable and stuff. And he was showing them around the the compound, and he introduced him to Harry Osborn and a couple other people, and as soon as he winds up meeting Clayton, who is uh, the old super villain of the Clash, he has his vision that Spider-Man and Clayton are going to have to fight, and it's going to determine whether or not Clayton goes off to be a supervillain or not. And, you know, so basically, like, Spider-Man's been on edge, all these other issues dealing with the idea that, oh, Clayton's going to turn, Clayton's going to turn. Ultimately, they wind up being attacked by a third-party source, and Clayton throws on the Clash suit and helps him defeat this enemy. But Pete decides, like, oh, well, you, you know, violated your parole by jumping into the Clash suit, so I can't have you working on technology that's related to the Crash suit. You know, this is uh, sound-amplifying technology. Which actually causes Clayton to basically be, all right, well, you know, you see me as a criminal, you see me as a monster, well, I'm going to show you what a monster is. That's a natural response. And if you haven't read anything about the Clash, basically the, the idea is he was, he was a retrofit villain. The notion was basically, well, what if you had somebody like Pete who just went the other way? You had somebody who, who came up with, a, you know, the idea of being a hero or making a name for himself, but he never got that defining moment. He just kind of kept being out for himself. Right. And that's kind of what the Clash is. Because he's, he's like Pete if he had never had the, the shooting. They never had the Uncle Ben moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, basically we, we get a lot of pretty cool battle between the Clash and Spider-Man. And Spider-Man, you know, thinking that he had outsmarted Clayton this whole time and realizing that, you know, he really didn't. And we kind of start understanding how dangerous the Clash is. Because he very easily could go to the point of being straight-up killer with the abilities that he has. And as Spider-Man's trying to talk him out of this stuff, and he finally starts kind of realizing maybe this isn't the road he wants to go into, we wind up getting attacked by the, the same villain that, that had attacked in the previous issues, which is a character I think that was created solely for this story. Basically... Spider-Man needs this, the Clash to help him out to take this guy back down. And the Clash is like, no. I'm out. You've made your decisions. I have to make mine. And Spider-Man's kind of like, but, you know, we, we can work this out. And the Clash is like, you know what? I, I can't... I don't want to be what you think I am, but I can't be who I've been this last year either. So I've got to do something else. And so he winds up, like, taking off leaving Spider-Man to face off against this villain on his own, which ultimately he prevails. 
Well, he's Spider-Man. That's normal. Yeah. But the, the real meat of the story kind of comes down to how this has changed his perspective of what Ulysses can see. Because by knowing that Clayton was going to go this way, Clayton never had a fair chance. And it's right. possible that he led Clayton down this path to becoming who he is now. But Peter wants to kind of instill this ideal inside of Ulysses that it's okay to make mistakes. You can't keep everyone from ever having mistakes. Like, most of science wouldn't have become what they would, what it is without mistakes. And we kind of see, through his mind, you know, him becoming who he is, basically through a mistake. But also, you know, his change to being Peter Parker because of what happened with Uncle Ben because of a mistake. Right. You know? And sometimes that hurts. And then it can change the way your life is. But, you know, it's important to be able to make those mistakes. And so Ulysses needs to not focus on those kind of things and try to focus instead on saving people's lives. Which ultimately, that was the triumph of this. Instead of focusing on the idea that, oh, well, Clayton's going to betray you and attack you, seeing this other third-party villain attack was what he was he was meant to see. Right. And Spider-Man and, and Clash wound up saving a lot of lives because they knew what was going on before time. But either way, he's basically trying to impart in Ulysses, focus on the things that's going to save the most lives instead of those things that are only going to affect one person. And the kind of tail end of the book is basically dealing with Carol trying to decide or, or trying to convince Spider-Man which side of this thing he should be on. And if it comes to a war, where does he stand? That's pretty normal. Call it out, Spider-Man. <laughs> Which ultimately, you know, he, he makes a decision that I'm kind of surprised with, but uh, it's one you'll probably see pretty soon as you continue the uh, the Secret Wars story. Sure. Uh, Rob's score for the book? Uh, I enjoyed it. It has a very interesting art style to it. Um, oh gosh, I'd probably, give it, I'd probably give it a three and a half. I really enjoyed the story. I thought it was a good take. Um, it's a pro Ulysses sees the future story, but it still shows that it's it's fallible, and that you know you can't just follow things blindly, right? And so I think that's a good point that they haven't got to really make in the Civil War stuff yet. I mean, you can kind of argue they have with what happened in Civil War Two, but sure, Civil War Two two is Civil War Two issue two. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I, I, I give it a three and a half. All right. Um, yeah, I also give it a three and a half. The Clash stuff is really pretty cool. And the fact we're seeing that character again, I, I dig that. Um, well, it felt... I think they had big plans for him, and it fell flat. And so I'm kind of glad to see them using him for something more. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard to say. Like The way the way they introduced him was in those point, point one through five series. So it's like they introduced him in a... Not a bad way, but it was a retro story between two issues of modern story. So, as far as numbering is concerned, if you want to see his origin stuff, it starts in the uh, Learning the Crawl point one or 1.1 through 1.5, so that you learn more about the Clash there. But character-wise, it's a cool, it's a cool dynamic, and yeah, it's very Peter Parker-esque. 
I, I like the way it looks now, and I think the suit is really cool. Story-wise, I mean, it's a pretty good story. It's interesting to see them spin Ulysses' power that direction. But, I mean, as far as, like, setup's concerned, there's some cool things. I like the idea that Pete can't be sure if he led him to what he decided to do, or what he him becoming more villainous again, or if it was something that happened because it was always going to happen. Yeah. So, I- interesting stuff. But, yeah, I, I give it a three and a half also. It was a fun book. Uh there's a lot of weight to it, so not fun like Supergirl was fun, but like it, it's impactful with what yeah. they're doing. Yeah, another thing that I liked about this that we see different in in your book was Nico was basically trying to say, "Hey, we haven't made these decisions yet; we can't be held accountable." Right. Whereas Clayton was saying, "Well, if this is going to happen and we can't change the future, then why fight it?" Right. You know, this is what you expect from me. So that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, similar pieces, but different parts of the same puzzle. Yeah. Good, good stuff, though. All right, uh, so we'll move on to uh, Glitter Bomb, uh, number one. This is from Image Comics. Uh, stories by Mr. Jim Zub. And, uh, <coughs> damn it. Uh, line art, and I'm going to butcher the name, not because I want to, but because I'm going to. Uh, did your... Digidrawer? Digidrill? Digidrill? I don't know how to say your name. I'm very, very sorry. Morset? And Pan? Uh, so, first name is D-J-I-B-R-I-L. So, I'm um, sorry about that, because I can't say that. That's why we have Curtis. Well, sad day. He loves Jim Zub. <sighs> Alright, so Glitter Bomb. Man, you, you are a fantastic artist, by the way. <clears throat> Not Jim, but the artist. However you say your name. Anyway, we open up and uh, we're in the middle of a business meeting. Uh, what we find out as as it goes on is it's between a uh, a starlet and her manager, and uh, he's basically condemning, telling her why she doesn't fit at the current organization she's part of. Like she doesn't fit with their group of cast or of uh, of clients, um, and then. Uh, he, uh, he basically is giving her an ultimatum about get out or figure out a way we can sell you. And uh, in the process of that, we have a giant tendril shoot out of her mouth and stab him through the head. Freaking awesome. Uh, and we, of course, we see him fall down dead, uh, which is pretty good. And then we get her uh, freak out for a second and be like, oh no, it happened again. And then the title page comes up and the story actually starts, which is awesome. So, uh, we rewind time, uh, six hours earlier, and we join our, uh, starlet as she's, uh, sitting through a, a list of, like, an audition, like a, a cattle call type audition. So it's a bunch of girls in there reading the same part for some part to be filled within the next couple of days. So it, there's a whole lot of girls in there with a very similar look reading for the same part. And, uh, th- that's when we meet her, and this is Farah that we're dealing with, and Farah is a little older now in the uh, acting game. It was famous from a show much earlier on, and some of the girls recognize her from that. And then, of course, that doesn't go super well because she's sort of mean, but uh, the girls aren't very nice either. And that leads to some, some chit-chat between her and a younger girl who looks very, very similar to her, but younger. And, of course, Farrah doesn't get cast. Somebody else gets cast, and so she winds up leaving. Uh, gets a call that her babysitter has been waiting for her to pick up her kid so the babysitter can go do her work 
uh, or go do whatever whatever she had to do. I can't remember what she. I don't think they even say what she's doing, but she's like, "Come, come, come! You said you'd be here an hour ago." And of course, Fair is dragging her feet because she's not real happy about not getting the job and everything going badly. Um, anyway, so she winds up taking a break and going sitting on the beach. And while she's on the beach, she's hassled by a bum, and. Uh, the bum tries to sell her a map to the stars, and of course, she doesn't really like that so much. Well, not really doesn't like it. I mean, she should zoom away, basically. And then, for whatever reason, she decides she's going to take a walk into the ocean. Which is kind of odd, but uh, as that's going on, she winds up hearing this voice talking to her. And uh, the next thing we know, she's underneath the water, and engulfed in what looks like tentacles, or tendrils, or seaweed. It's hard to say exactly what it is. Whatever it is has got a hold of her, and this is the first time we see her eyes freak out and go black, like we saw in the in the room with the uh, agent before he got tentacled in the face. Uh, <laughs> so we fast forward a little bit. Uh, she blacks out in the water and wakes up on the beach, and uh, we find the same bum basically digging through her purse, telling her how, oh, she owes him whatever he can find in her purse because he pulled her out of the water and saved her life, so she owes him. He finds her car keys and starts asking her, what kind of car do you drive? And she's still coming out of this, like, blackout phase. And, as you can imagine, a lady with tentacle things in her face, it doesn't go so well for the bum. Like, at all. Yeah, it goes real bad for him. It's a bloody mess. Um, <laughs> so we come from there uh, to uh, what I assume is Farrah's home. The babysitter and, her, and uh, Farrah's kid. And uh, the babysitter's like, oh, man, your mommy better get her pretty soon because she's in, she's in deep poop. And they, so the kid starts repeating poop, and it's it's funny just because that's what kids do. She's like, don't say that because your mom's going to get mad. Um, about that time, Farrah opens the door and comes in, and we see that her shirt's got blood all over it, and she's kind of... You can see that she's in disrepair as far as the way she, her dress is. I mean, it's, uh, things are a mess, and things are untucked, and uh, her hair is wet. Um, anyway, but her, so she, she, she says, oh, hey, baby, and, of course, the kid runs to mommy, and then the, uh, babysitter gives her a whole lot of flack for being late, and upset at her for, oh, why'd you make me wait so long, I'm, I'm totally missing my, uh, my other job and stuff, and have you talked to your agent about me yet, you, you gotta get me hooked up with your agent, because the, the babysitter wants to be a actress, too, and, uh, that goes on for a little bit, and then we wind up, uh, seeing the, uh, her kid almost falls out of the chair on his face, and Farrah, like, catches him with no reflex what's like, just out of nowhere. Super fast reflex style. And, uh, it even kind of frightens the babysitter. Like, holy crap, you're amazing. Like, how'd you do that? And, uh, of course, he cries a little bit for a second. And then she's like, oh, no, you're fine, baby. And about the time, the phone starts ringing. So she goes and answers the phone, and it's her agent. Wants to have a meeting right away. And so she tells the babysitter, well, if you can stay, I'll pay an extra $200. But I gotta go to this meeting. And she's like, well... Just to tell your agent about me, you know. That'll that'll train us off for, for, for the money. I need the money too, but you know, make sure to tell your agent about me. So Farrah cleans herself up a little bit, explains away the blood, uh <laughs> to the babysitter. And uh after she changes, we wind up ending the book with her showing up at the meeting that we saw her in the very beginning of the book. So we already know how the meeting's gonna go for our uh agent from what we've seen. But it's like a full circle. And, uh, pretty, I mean, fairly interesting. Like, whatever the stuff is in the ocean, crazy. Was she always that way? Uh, no idea. She doesn't seem to be. So, interesting wise, it's a pretty good hook. 
Uh, Jim Zobe's a good writer, so, I mean, as far as that goes, there's pieces that are funny because they're supposed to be funny. Uh, I, I give it a three. Uh, it's entertaining. I, I, I kind of... The only thing I wish is there was a little more... Yeah, I don't know, I don't know what else you could do more. I'm going to take that back and have to edit the shit out of this interview. It's not even an interview. Um, so, yeah, we get to the end, and she... The, basically, we had the reveal is that we're at the beginning of the story. So that's not like a huge reveal, but at the same time, all the mysteries are in the middle. Um, it, pretty good. I mean, it's a good book. It's fun. To, it was a cool read. Uh, there's funny stuff in there because Jim Zub's a good writer, and so stuff that's supposed to be funny is written funny. It's very uh, slice of life until we get to the crazy tentacles. And uh, then all be all is like, how is this even a thing at all? And was she always this way? Like, what's going on? Super crazy. Uh, but yeah, the the death sequences are great. Like they're awesome. That bum gets it, dude. Man. So I, I give it a three. Um, super interested to read the next book. I, I want to know what's going on with her and why she's the way she is. So I thought that was cool. Uh, Rob, the story for that book? Yeah, I I'd follow suit with three. Um, I really like Jim Zub. I work for it. I actually think it was really good. I mean, it, it looks very outcast kind of kind of look. Which there's nothing wrong with that, but um, I don't know. I, I kind of get like a similar feel, I guess, to it that I get from Revival, and oh, so okay. I kind of feel like I kind of feel like this could be a really good suspense mystery type story. Right. So I mean, it has it has a lot of potential to be pretty pretty interesting, and they don't they don't explain a whole lot to start with, so it'll be interesting to see how they. How they play this out? Sure. Yeah, yeah I can see, I can see the revival tins in there. We have the mystery going on, and then we have the the basic main character and like how things are affecting them. Yeah, you know what? I can see I can see pieces there. I went. I don't know if it's as pet cemetery as revival, no. but it's definitely got a different kind of mystery to it, which is really cool. Yeah, but I I, I feel like if you enjoy that book, you you might. Oh yeah, come for sure. Yeah, yeah. If if you like revival, I think uh, at least from the first issue. What we're seeing so far, I say you probably like Litterbomb too. Yeah, it's a good correlation. Um, well, all right. Uh, well, that's it for books, folks. Um, so now we'll run the, uh, the interview with the Bulk and Skull <laughs> from Colorado Springs Comic Con, uh, 2016. Uh, so enjoy. Is that how you start that? Because it's. I don't see why not. All right, there you go. <laughs> Alright, this is Steve with Top 5 Comics Podcast here at the Colorado Springs Comic Con, and I'm here with... Jason Narvey. And Amy Jo Johnson. You look good, AJ. Thanks. Don't let him tell him anything different, man. Thank you. I mean, woman. Thanks. What can we do you for? Alright, well, what have you got? So, I know you do a little theater, I know you work with General Giant stuff, so what have you guys been up to? What do you guys do in your time? Like, what do you guys do to keep yourself busy now that the Power Rangers thing is, well, it's still going, but it's not... You guys aren't part of it, I So guess. the insinuation here is that we have been doing absolutely nothing no. but waiting around for you to be satisfied with what we do with our lives, right? That's that's what I'm hearing. That's not what I meant, but a yes. So why, why are you being so mean to him? He doesn't have any legs. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that train accident, by the way. I mean, that it happens, you know. I mean, it's Colorado. What else are you going to do but dance with a train? When I first met you, I thought that your name was going to be Matt or Bob. But not Steve. 
<laughs> it's a beard, right? right. Yeah. No, no. You know, the legs, legs generally are. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Hang you on the wall, call you Art. You know what's great about the air quality in Colorado? What's that? It's just so clean. It's perfect for smoking cigarettes. It really is. Because ah, you don't have any ancillary pollution. It's going to ruin the experience. Well, I mean, it's Marlboro country, right? I mean, that's why Marlboros are so popular. I see. people look at Colorado and they're like, I really want to put some tar and nicotine in my lungs. Yeah. That's what Colorado does for yeah. me is what yeah. people are saying. Yeah. Yeah. I like Colorado. It's a beautiful state. Well, Colorado doesn't like me. Why not? I don't know. I, I got a warrant. I got a bench warrant out. Really? What'd you do? Uh, I was, uh, I was, I was, I was quadruple parked. How do you, quadruple parked, what's that? Well, that's where you park one car, mm -hmm. and then you park another car in front of it to okay. make it double park, and gotcha. then you get two more cars after that, mm -hmm. and you basically, you, and you're blocking the street. Gotcha, so, what, what, why would you do that? Well, is it like double parking, it's just more convenient? I just, you know, it was the rental lot, and I forgot which one that I was driving, and they were all electronic keyless ignition. Oh. And it, I, they just kept starting, I just kept driving them around. That probably makes the most sense, yeah. what you did. Yeah. It really is not, it's unfair that they actually are coming down on you. You're like a freedom rider. A freedom rider. Well, because when you have a keyless entry, you got the freedom to take whatever car you want and ride in it. I see. Yep. A freedom rider. Yep. Freedom rider. Sounds like somebody driving a bike with no shorts on. <laughs> no undershorts. Freedom rider. Isn't that a, what we call a Dutch bicycle? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you have to take off the seat for the bicycle, don't you? Ow! Why would you do that? I wouldn't. I'm just saying you do. You don't even ride a bike. You ain't got no legs. Exactly. You don't have any legs, Steve. What do you know about bicycling? It's true. It's a good point. No legs to pedal. Sad state of mind. AJ. What? You really gotta stop gargling that battery acid. Do you wanna see my butt? I can see it! You need to put pants on, AJ! Alright. Alright, um, again, it was fun going out to the Colorado Springs Comic Con. Um, for their first year, they did a pretty good job. Like uh, venue-wise, it's not a venue I've ever been to before, um, but they had a decent amount of vendors, a lot of lot of celebrity types. So it was a pretty fun show. It'd be interesting to see what they do for next year, um, or if they do a next year with the same company, or what exactly how that goes down. But they did a pretty good job. It was a, it was pretty it's a pretty fun show just in general. Yeah. Uh, would you say the show was more about? Comics and comic vendors, or about celebrities? Uh, you know, I think this one's a little more fan con y than, uh, than Comic Con, which is a, a trend I'm seeing in a lot of shows. Uh, Salt Lake is very much like that. Denver is like a mixed bag. Uh, it's a little more comic book oriented um, than I'd say Salt Lake is. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a trend I'm seeing with a lot of shows. I mean, it, they, there are a lot of celebrity types, a uh, lot of artists. Uh, good artists too, uh, but as far as like just mass amount of comic vendors, there really wasn't a lot of comic vendors. Maybe four or five, just in general. But not a. I would say it's more fan con than it is comic con. If that makes sense. So yeah, more celebrity. Hmm. Is that how you answer that question? So so yeah, if you're if you were looking for doing a, like if you're looking for a, a new show to go to, right. 
this show is going to be more along the lines of meeting meeting artists and maybe possibly writers and celebrity types. Right. It's not going to be, you're not going to be probably filling in a whole lot of your collection. No, no, yeah. If you're looking to dig through piles of old books, uh, this year that did not happen. Now, granted, that's a matter of vendor versus event. Um, it's not like it's shaped to be only for celebrities, but I think it's more a matter of, uh, of vendors that were at this particular show. So any of those shows could go either direction, but any more of the bigger trend for things is to book celebrities and then fill that in around the event. So uh, this particular one I say is more fan-con-y. Not that's a bad thing. It just depends what you go for. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're fed up with the big cons, is this one to go to, or are you going to feel like you're going to a remodel? Oh, yeah, no, no, room? yeah. But yeah, it was a fun show. I always say it was a fun show to go to, and I don't think anybody felt bad for, go, for going out to it. It was fun. Um, the celebrities were all real good to deal with. Um, like, all the Jasons, uh, Franks and Narvi, and I can't remember the other, the other Red Ranger from Time Force. I can't remember his last name. Uh, all three of them awesome guys. Uh, Mitch Plaguey, cool to talk to. Um, they had Seth from The Walking Dead out there. He's he's a really nice guy too, actually. So as far as people, the the people they chose were all really good choices. Yeah. So as far as like that, I think it was fun. Uh, they had Mike and Ming out there, which I have distaste for Walt and Kevin for lots of reasons, but the two of them are both pretty cool guys. And uh, who else did they have out there? They had uh, Muse. Muse was out there. Oh, just Muse. So yeah, that was pretty cool yeah. too. Which he's I mean he's funny so. Yeah. Well, kind of the, the neat thing, it sounds like, for this show is you get a little bit more interaction with some of these celebrity types than you do in in some shows. You know, the bigger the show, I mean, typically the faster celebrity is in and out. Right, that's true. Uh, yeah, as far as, like, time, I think probably they all seem to take time with people when they were there talking to them, so I think all that worked out pretty well. Um, I mean, it's... Every show at this point has a cutter fill with certain things. So if you're there for photo ops, photo ops go as a conveyor belt. That's how that works, regardless of what show you go to. But as far as uh, the meet and greet stuff with the the signatures, yeah, that was all pretty, all pretty. Uh, I don't know. I would say all pretty time oriented. Like they, I mean, the busiest guy was probably the Green Ranger or White Ranger or Red Ranger or uh, Jason David Franks uh, was easily the busiest guy there. But again, we're on the heels of a new. Power Rangers, and he's, if you were ever a Power Ranger fan ever, he's been in whatever series you watched. So, Pretty close. Uh, yeah, so it makes sense. Uh, dude also was suffering from altitude sickness, so like he held up real well considering. Huh. Yeah, the, the apparently the the altitude in general for him didn't set well real good. Yeah. Which, I mean, is not abnormal, but the dude has like no body fat, so go figure. <sighs> Crazy. But yeah, he was, he was a cool guy to talk to, too, actually, so... As far as like shows are concerned, I'd say it was, it was worth, it was worth seeing. Uh, if they do one next year, I would say go because it's fun. Yeah. Uh, as far as being more personable, I'd say it's a more personable show. So it'll be interesting to see if they do it next year. They had a lot of cool stuff out there. Um, again, uh, it was a fun show to go to. So I would say if uh, if you haven't been to the show before, it'd be a good place to start. If you've been to really really big shows and what you're expecting is five days of Hollywood, um, it's not that. Yeah, you're not gonna get that. So, but. At the same time, I mean, Colorado Springs is a pretty—it's a pretty town, yeah. and, and and if you're expecting you're going to get stuff, you're going to be given all sorts of stuff. That's that's probably not going to happen either. No, yeah, it's a misnomer. The the days of piles of free nonsense being given away are kind of over, even for the big shows. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you still have like your uh, if you're in San Diego or you're in New York, 
you have your Hollywood element that's dumping posters down your throat of stuff you're never going to watch. Well, that most people aren't going to watch. And yeah, it's a it's a, it's a it's a free for all of grabbing random nonsense. So it's not that kind of show. It was so fun. Decent cosplay. There's some really good poison ivies. Um, there was an awesome uh, battle mech from uh, uh, 40k, like oh, okay. full suit. Awesome. Hmm. So yeah, as far as that, I mean, show wise, it's a good show. I would say uh, if you if you like 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 I was trying to say earlier, if uh, if you haven't ever been to a show, it's a good place to start. Um, I guess that's it. That's all I got. I don't know <laughs> what else to say about that. And, <clears> and it was the... This is the Colorado Springs Comic Colorado Con. Colorado Springs. Um, this particular year, I've done a lot of cons. So, yeah, uh, yeah Colorado Springs Con um, happened back in... Was it last month? Middle last month? Yeah, probably about the middle of in, the month. In the August, maybe? Yeah. I don't remember the dates. It's hard to say, because who knows when you'll be listening to this. Right, that's true. So, hey, it was a show that happened, and uh, <laughs> if you get a chance to go out, you might as well. You should look it up. Look it up on the internet. That's hey. And, and you, could, you could plan your schedule around it for next right. year. Right, exactly. Plan for next year, buy tickets early. You know, plan in advance, that way the trip is easy. Including your, in your mail, top five comments podcasts that you should go to the show. Right, oh yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, you know. Is, hashtag. I, I don't think that's how those work. No, I, I don't think that's Although, how if you want to see pictures, though, I'm pretty sure the hashtag for uh, stuff that happened out there was uh, hashtag CSCC 2016, I think. Oh, okay. So, uh, I'd say that's a way to look it up, because Colorado Springs Comic Con 2016. And I, I know I hashtag things for pictures. Like that is it? I guess that's how you do it, right? Yeah, sure. I don't understand hashtags entirely, people. I write whole sentences, and there's no spaces, and there's a hashtag at the front, and God only knows what it does. I have no idea. Bears don't like to get punched in the face. It's not good to work with an angry bear. How are those hashtags? They're not, but I write them that way because I'm crazy. Ah. <sighs> anyway, um. So yeah, uh, I've got a couple more. Got a couple more pieces that come from that show. All right, Rob. So uh, what did uh, what'd you learn today, Rob? The Superman with a super sweet Fabio haircut looks awesome. Well, there was that. Uh, I learned today that Supergirl can really put the uh, the foot down all the way through the bottom of her car. <laughs> and that evidently the writers for Supergirl have not forgotten that the S stands for hope. <laughs> Although we all wish that they had. Right, well that's true. Ah, oh, man. Uh, what did I learn today, Rob? Evidently that tentacles out of people's faces is awesome. It's a little weird. I don't think you understand. The strain has a special place in my heart. I, I guess. And this has similar threads to that. Face tentacles are usually not cool. They're terrifying. Oh, my God. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> person's face opens up and things start shooting out of it. It's crazy. It's true. Oh, my God. Ah, All right, Rob, do some books to watch. And if you don't have one, I got one. Seven to Eternity uh, coming out from Memories Comics. I want to say here in two to three weeks. That dates the show, but hey, you know, you should look for it if you haven't seen it. Um, it's uh, Rick Remender? No. Uh, Burbank. No. no. Bendis. No. Damn it. That's no. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. I don't know. The other names I knew. Okay. Uh, no, it is Rick Remender. That's who it is. Okay, yeah. It's yeah. Deadly Class, Black Science, Rick yeah, Remender. Remember. Yeah, so if you're, if you're a Remender fan... Then you should get on the boat. If you're not, Paul, then what are you doing wrong? 
Um, so we got that one coming out. Uh, another one called Reborn, which uh, is going to feature art from uh, Greg Kapalua. That's also coming out from Image. I want to say that one's maybe a month out still. Maybe. Uh, Reborn. There's going to be like five or six covers, and they all look great. Um, I actually got some. Actually, we got emailed at the store some um, preview art from that book. Uh, no script in it, but preview art from the like eight pages they sent us mm. looks freaking great. Reborn looks amazing. Um, so those two, I would say, get on. Um, pretty happy with uh, Frank Chow's book uh, from uh, Boom. Skybound. Skybound. Okay. Pretty happy with the, with that guy, but I also love Frank, so. You know, there's that. Good times. Um, I feel like there was something else that I was super stoked for, but I can't remember what it was now. So I must not have been that happy about it. <laughs> uh, Rob, you got some books? Yeah. Uh, we're still looking forward to Super Suns coming out. Uh, Trinity has been holed back, but uh, it should be awesome when that comes out. I want to say next week, actually. Yeah. I want to say for us about next week. Um Death of X is going to be coming soon. Uh, X fans, don't be too worried. If you looked into what it is, it, it's it's more filling in the gaps than anything else. Uh, the Champions should be awesome when that finally hits. Um, looking forward to see where they're going to go with Blue Beetle starting this new run. Let's see, was there anything else that I was really excited for? Oh, uh, Birthright is still continuing, and it is fantastic. So, yeah. Um, if you haven't if you haven't read Revival, then I don't know what you've been listening to because it wasn't us. Um, Revival has announced they're going to be heading into their final arc, so uh, we're going to get end probably in about seven eight months, uh, which is a sad thing. But at the same time, the story's been awesome. It's been going on for like five freaking years. Have you any idea how crazy that is? Yeah, that's pretty nuts. Freaking awesome. Um, actually, from from Vertigo, surprisingly enough, I, I actually finally started Faith, and it is awesome. From Valiant, you mean? Yeah, from Valiant. Sorry. Sorry, right, they're both of these. Yeah, I've, it's actually really good, and so it makes me excited to see where they're going with the Harbinger story that's going to be coming out later. I didn't. I didn't want to continue. I was like, no, Harbinger was so good. I don't need to read this Faith book. I picked it up, and it's it's actually really good. It's a really, really good. Which, uh, if you guys want to check it out, we do have in the store Top Five Comics, uh, First and Orchard, uh, Granger, Colorado. We do happen to have a new batch of number ones. They are second prints from Faith, but uh, we got a whole batch of them in there just because it's, it's it really is doing well. Um, so you should get on it. I mean, at this point, the writer from there, uh, Jody Hauser, Hauser, Jody's moving on to. Uh, She's going to have Mother Panic coming out from DC, uh, the Young Animal line. Yeah. So, uh, art, so writer-wise, she's going to start showing up over in the DC with that book, uh, which actually we have an interview from her in San Diego that I don't think we've run yet. Oh, we'll have okay. to fix that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. No, don't, yeah, I don't think we've run that. Because, yeah, Mother Panic actually seems like it would be... The test art for it looks cool. awesome, and the concept behind the story seems awesome, so I'm pretty stoked for that, actually. So I'm surprised I didn't remember that whenever I was thinking earlier. Yeah, there's just so many books sometimes. Well, you know, yeah, it's a thing with both stuff. Pants. Pudding pops. That's a different kind of thing. It's in trouble. Uh, I think that's it, Rob. You got anything else? 
Now I think I think that's probably yeah, all right. It's I probably think that's good, probably yeah. it. So we can call it the key. Yep, the key. All right. Scissors. <laughs> I won't do it. <laughs> He's not. He's really not. He's never gonna do it. I know. He's never gonna do it.